The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today on a really important topic, one that we need to be talking more about, is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. She is a neuroscientist who's created groundbreaking science-driven plans for revitalizing, nourishing, and rejuvenating your most essential asset, your brain. Guys, I feel like the brain is at risk, so to speak. I see so many signs in clinic with our children, with our seniors of how the brain really is taking a hit nowadays. And I feel like we're not talking enough about it. And one of the things that COVID has done is really bring this issue even more so to the forefront. So welcome to the show, Dr. Willemeyer. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Your book, Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance and Power, just released last month. Congratulations. Tell us about the book. Tell us about how you became interested in neuroscience and the brain. Well, thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Dr. Taz. And it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. So yeah, biohack your brain. Uh, Truth be told, it came into existence because of work that we were doing in the clinical setting. So my background is I'm a neuroscientist, but I was the director of research for a very large uh, nationally recognized mental health care facility uh, called the Amen Clinics. And yes, the Amen Clinics. So I uh, ran their clinical neuroimaging department. And about a decade ago, we did one of the largest studies in living professional football players showing what happens to the brain when you play football. Now, we all know uh, now in 2021 that playing football and those collision-based sports can be damaging to the brain. But what was more exciting about our work is we showed we were able to rehabilitate brain function. And why is this important? Um, Well, in our clinic, we have people with memory issues, you know, dementia, all kinds of neuropsychiatric issues that lead towards um, cognitive impairment and dementia symptoms. So we were able to use the brain healthy, sort of teaching them a brain healthy lifestyle and have showed that was able to change, make measurable changes in brain function in these athletes. So The book came about because I really wanted people to understand that they have a lot of power in their hands when it comes to dietary and lifestyle modifications and that practicing them effectively can make measurable changes using functional imaging. Mm. So, and I don't, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. And, you know, I can even ask you, you know, if you're working with patients and you're saying, you know, uh, eat a brain healthy diet, follow the Mediterranean diet, drink more water, exercise more. When people don't have sort of a way to measure it and see it with their eyes, um, sometimes people don't follow it. And that's the beauty of being a neuroimaging, you know, specialist. Wow. When you see the brain at baseline, put somebody on a six month protocol um, that's really just changing their diet and lifestyle. And then using functional imaging, whether it's EEG, looking at uh, brainwave activity or um, spec scans where we could look at blood flow changes and then show that those changes are measurable and sustainable over time. That's really, it's a game changer. It was for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime we can see data 
or images, and that gives us some sort of positive feedback that the changes we're making are actually doing something. I think my patients get really excited when they see their lab numbers change. Yes. They see like a thermogram image change or things like that, all of us. So I think that that is, you know, revolutionary. I know the spec scans, I've, I've talked to Dr. Amen. I know a lot about them and, you know, but they're not really practical for everyone, right? Everyone can't go and do a spec scan. Right. You, you know, you mentioned a lot of other nuggets kind of in what you just said there, you know, is imaging one of the key ways? Are there symptoms we should be aware of? And if we can't do a spec scan, what's really the best imaging for us to do? Yeah, those are great questions. Well, first of all, I know most people won't get their brains imaged. I mean, you know, the people that would come into our clinic typically had complex, you know, psychiatric yeah, comorbidities. And, you know, working with a spec scan, there's also radiation involved. And so you have to weigh the risks and benefits of doing that. However, I am a big fan of quantitative EEG, which is a wonderful non-invasive way that we can look at the brain, you just put a cap on the head, you know, 19 leads, we can take your brain data and compare it to a normative database and just say, how are you doing, right? Mm -hmm. How are the cells in your brain functioning? Um, are they overactive, are they underactive? And then we can use a technology called neurofeedback to just balance um, the network activity in the brain. When the brain is balanced, you think more efficiently, right? Your brain is just more effective and we can use it for anxiety, depression, and ADD. So that's a very sort of simple, non-invasive way that we can look at the brain and it's relatively inexpensive. It's about $500. Explain neurofeedback because so many people get confused by that. And is neurofeedback only for anxiety and depression or can you really make other changes to the brain using neurofeedback? Such a great question. So neurofeedback, we liken it to going to the gym for the brain. So when you go to the gym and you lift weights, right, you're trying to, you know, build your bicep muscles or your quadricep muscles, you're going to go every, you know, every couple of days and work those specific muscle groups. That's what neurofeedback does. So we essentially have the leads on the brain. We can figure out which areas are over or underactive based on how many standard deviations they are from the norm. And then it's really a way, it's a biofeedback system for the brain. So it's non-invasive. It's really easy to do. You can do it while you're watching a video on a screen. Um, and every time you do the training, what it does is it helps to, again, stabilize those networks. When you stabilize one network, say the anxiety network, it can help another network like your memory um, or your attention. So everything in the brain is interconnected. Those 86 billion neurons are all, you know, working in synchrony. So that's one op that's one approach. But when working with anxiety and depression, you can use supplements, you can use dietary and lifestyle modifications, and you can use exercise. And those tools to me are as effective or even more effective because they're the things that we can do every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so fascinated with the brain and how much we do have the ability to change it and to reverse course. And I think so many people don't realize that. And for people that have parents with dementia and Alzheimer's, there's I've noticed with a lot of my patients, like they kind of want to know what their risk is, but they don't want to know what their risk is because it's sort of like, are you signing up for something? So I think the the message really is like, even with all the genetic tests and everything else that we have today, that it's information, but information that puts power back in your hands because there's that intersection 
of function and lifestyle that influences kind of the course of your health. And just because you have a gene for something or your parents had something doesn't mean that you're gonna follow the same path. Having said that though, I feel like the brain's under attack. Why do you think today we seem to at least have such an issue with brain health? What do you think the greatest risk factors are? Oh, well, there's so many risk factors. And what one point that I want to make just based on what you shared is even if you have a parent who has Alzheimer's or frontotemporal lobe dementia or struggling with malacognitive impairment, uh, what's beautiful, what I've seen in the clinical setting as, is that we can use these tools that we have, diet and lifestyle, and then we've got the technologies like neurofeedback and hyperbaric oxygen therapy to literally slow down or reverse that process. So we might not be able to fully treat Alzheimer's, but we can slow the process down. And I feel that that's really empowering for people. I mean, to the point where we've had people had frontotemporal lobe dementia, have been able to put them through these protocols and then rescan them and show that we can bring blood flow mm-hmm. back to the frontal lobes, the front part of their brain. And, and I don't, again, I don't think people realize like we have this power in our hands. So getting to your other question, right? Yeah. What are we talking about the brain? And, and it just seems like top of mind now. Well, number one, it's probably because we're in COVID-19, you know, the coronavirus is really sort of accelerating why we're thinking about it with all the mental health issues and the neurological health issues. But what causes brain issues? Poor blood flow to the brain, like we've talked about, um, inflammation. So we have so many things that drive inflammatory processes, right? Having excess weight on our body, right? The coronavirus is causing inflammation. The foods we eat, you know, several times a day are inflammatory. That's why just thinking about changing our diet to something anti-inflammatory can be so helpful. Um, Then there's those of us who played collision-based sports, right? Who've had the repetitive head impacts and maybe we're in our forties or fifties and are starting to see cognitive issues. There's just the things that we do, the, the drinking and the smoking and the recreational drug use, you know, over time that can cause changes in the brain. Wow. So there's so many, there's sort of so many factors. Mm-hmm. That's why I like to call it's like making the case for your cognitive health. Yeah. Why should we care? And if we're, if our cognitive health is functioning well, let's do everything we can right. to maintain that. Because as you know, Alzheimer's starts in the brain one to two decades before you have a symptom. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. That is like the wake up call to make us all think like, let's start now. I wanted to start 20 years ago. Yeah. So you're saying, you're essentially saying whether you're an athlete, a alcoholic, a drug (laughs) smoker, or a stressed out person, which now covers the entire population. Yeah. Paying attention to our cognitive health. So, but all jokes aside, like, you know, I have seen more and more cognitive decline, you know, and I do think there's a connection to, to the obesity crisis and to cardiometabolic issues where we're seeing all this inflammation trigger neuroinflammation. And so your, your heart patients with their heart drugs and uh, overall kind of risk are also showing a lot of cognitive delay. So again, I think this is a topic that touches everyone. And then, like I mentioned earlier in our children, just seeing kind of the environmental effects, the, the food component of how they are affected. I think I'm super concerned about that as well. What is your book and you teach us about 
protecting our brain health. Give us a few pearls that we could start to use maybe right away as we're sort of thinking through, okay, we're all at risk. What do we do? Yeah, no, great question. Well, I, you know, coming from a brain health background, we sort of have our favorite brain healthy foods. Well, one of the, and I talk about this in the book, um, I used to teach what we called brain directed weight loss groups. So you brought up obesity. Um, one of the goals was we wanted to help people to get brain fit, but it have the great side effect be losing weight. So, you know, I put everybody on the Mediterranean diet, which I, think it's just very easy for people to follow number one, but it also has wonderful, um, it, in the evidence-based literature, we know it helps to slow down um, neurodegenerative issues, neurological issues, and it can prevent uh, cardiovascular issues. But some of the pearls, like what are the great uh, brain foods that we should really be having in the rotation? Well, we all know berries, right? Blueberries are probably the number one brain food because of their antioxidants. And Harvard did this amazing 20-year longitudinal dietary study following um, older, older patients and, and saw that having either blueberries or strawberries a minimum of two times a week could slow cognitive decline by as much as two and a half years. So if that isn't like a number one pearl, like we should all be having our berries or put them in our smoothies. Um, so that's number one. You know, we all know having more of the green leafy vegetables, right? The kale, the spinach, the broccoli, all of that. Again, having the great antioxidants and the folate and the B vitamins we all need for our health. Um, think lentils and quinoa. Quinoa being a complete protein. Again, great brain health foods. Um, green tea is yeah. fantastic as again for for being calming and relaxing protecting your dna but also protecting your brain um think things like sweet potatoes and yams you know those are also great brain foods so and of course you've got to have your healthy omega-3 fatty acids so either your two servings of fish wild wild salmon each week um or you could do walnuts almonds chia and flax so trying to get those things more into your diet on a daily basis, super helpful. Food, like really, if people had to focus, is that where you would tell them to begin is to start with food? I think food is a great place to focus because we do it every day, right? We've got to eat a minimum of three times a day and you want to bring in those anti-inflammatory foods, right? So you bring in the clean foods, you bring down the sugars. So one of the well, one of the tips or tricks that we used to use in our weight loss group is I would have everybody track how much sugar that they were consuming in a day. So the American Heart Association recommends no more than 25 grams a day for women, 36 grams for men. And I promise you, if you track it, some of the people in my groups were having about 90 grams per day. So if we can get you know, the amount of sugar that we're consuming, because sugar is inflammatory, we can sort of get that down, you know, to a lower number. And in my group, sometimes we just get them to 45 grams per day, but that's a tremendous difference. And you were talking about labs, you know, yeah. looking at people's um, glucose levels and hemoglobin A1C, and that can make a radical change. So eat clean foods, right? Get your sugars under control. I was big on calories in terms of you know, typically men, I didn't have them eat more than a 2000 calorie mm -hmm. a day diet. Women, I could have anywhere between 1400 to 1600, you know, calories. So again, you know, keeping an eye on the calories, mm -hmm. you know, choosing smart foods, 
Hydration is really key. I know I'm sure you tell that to all of your patients, but how many of us are drinking at least half our body weight in ounces of water a day? Even I have to work on it, and I've been in this field, you know, for almost twenty years. It's still a struggle. I'm like, drink my water. I yeah, so. drink your water. And I'm I'm a big fan of green juicing. So when I, you know, when I would, I've actually been doing it for twenty years. Um, you know, back in graduate school, when I used to dissect brains, and I'd have to keep cells alive in culture, I learned very quickly that. Um, the cells thrived in a slightly alkaline environment. So because when your body and cells are metabolizing things, it creates that little bit of an acidic environment. So you, that's why you wanna either flush it out with water or have that slightly alkaline environment. So I learned very quickly, it's really smart to be drinking green juices. I love green juices. What about, um, well, I don't want to take us off on a tangent, but one of the things I, I've always thought about green juices and green smoothies is the glutathione Mm -hmm. component of that where do some of these like you know coq10 glutathione nad like all these supplements that you hear about what are your favorite brain healthy supplements that you would recommend folks to take once they have really tackled the food oh i like that that's a great question so as uh i was also the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals at the amen clinic so i had yeah it was pretty amazing so i actually got to run clinical trials that showed me whether these supplements were making measurable changes in brain function. So with that as the lead, <laughs> um, some of my favorite supplements, well, number one, omega-3 fatty acids. That was one of the number one things we made sure all of our patients had one to two grams per day. Um, it's amazing from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, but it can also yeah. help with mood issues. So when people have anxiety and depression, we have to put them on omega-3. So that's a staple besides a great uh, multivitamin, multivitamin, multimineral, because as we age, um, we begin to lose our ability to produce neurotransmitters. And, you know, not all of us are eating locally grown food that's organic and GMO free. Right. So we've got the multivitamin, multimineral, we've got the omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, mm -hmm. as we can see is critical. People are using it now you know, during COVID to help with immunity. Um, but in a psychiatric setting, we also use it for people who have depression because low vitamin D levels have been associated with depression and Alzheimer's. So you get, you get those three in. Um, curcumin mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. So curcumin, great anti-inflammatory, but what's great crosses the blood brain barrier. Um, we've seen that it combines the plaques that form during Alzheimer's and help to clear them away. So you know, putting that one in the rotation is good. And, you know, I think it's really smart to have probiotics. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, there's the whole brain gut connection, you know, when your gut is, is working well, you know, through the vagus nerve, you're going to have uh, implications in the brain. So having a great probiotic supplement or probiotic foods as well, fermented vegetables are fantastic. So those are some of my favorites. Um, you know, I also have other tiers. I mean, I have lots of supplements that I like. <laughs> those are some of the basics that I think are really helpful for people. I think those are so helpful. And hopefully folks are taking notes and maybe picking a few that they could go ahead and start on. What are you seeing in the face of COVID? What do you think is happening here with the long haulers? I've got folks coming in saying, you know, they're way past having COVID, but they can't focus. They can't concentrate. They're getting mentally fatigued. They're having anxiety, they're having depression, and then six months later, nine months later, what do you think is happening there? 
Yeah, I think the long hauler syndrome is really a, a component of the, the cytokine storm that happens. So you have this rapid inflammatory response and what they're finding is it, it's actually breaking down the blood brain barrier. So mm-hmm. that's why it's now impacting our brain and anxiety, depression, um, uh, PTSD, the, that sort of inflammatory state is what helps to create that in the brain. The other thing that we have are possibly vascular changes that are going on. So during COVID, some people have low oxygen flow to the brain, but again, you know, the inflammation combined with the vascular changes, and we don't know, we know um, autopsies of people who have had COVID do you know it's getting into the cerebrospinal fluid? Um, it's been found to bind to receptors in the frontal lobes, and the frontal lobes, right, are literally rule um, our higher level thinking, cognitive function, working memory. So I think it's a combination of all of those things, um, you know, co- sort of causing the long hauler syndrome. So when you're thinking about, well, how do I get out of this, and what kind of things do I do? That's where I think anti-inflammatory foods. So having an anti-inflammatory diet, which is all those brain healthy foods we were talking about. And even just to make it really simple for the people who are watching, if if it is a food that you can pick from a tree, right? A plant, a fruit, it's gonna be anti-inflammatory. If it comes out of a box, <laughs> right? If it comes out of a box or, you know, if it's a saturated animal fat or sugar, like we should, you know, we should minimize those things. And right. sometimes for people, it's just on a continuum, you know, like, you know, one less piece of meat during the day, right? Um, a little bit less sugar. And trust me, what I've seen working with patients in the clinical setting, these small changes practice consistently over time. Make a big difference. That's all That's all you need to do. It's, it's, it's actually really simple to yeah. change the brain. And I think I, I'm sort of one of those cheerleaders for your brain health, you know, yeah. it's, I've seen it. And I don't think if I hadn't seen it with the imaging, yeah. I, I don't even know if I'd believe it. Yeah. So, you know, I think I want to be one of those people just like Dr. Amen reminding people, wow, changing your brain, we can do it. We can bring down the inflammation. Yeah. We can increase the blood flow. We can do it through diet and exercise. We don't have to pay a lot of money and go get our brain assessed, but if we're concerned, and this is sort of taking it full circle, um, you can just go get a cognitive assessment, right? Come and see you, um, go see a neurologist. You know, we have basic, you know, Pearson has standardized assessments. You know, there's ones that we would give on the computer. There's computerized assessments. Just get assessed once a year. See where your brain, you know, see how your uh, general cognitive functioning is. It can look at reasoning, memory, attention, information processing speed. And I think, you know, if you measure it, we always say, how do you know unless you measure? You do it with your labs. Um, I I think if we did it for our cognitive health, and then we've got, you know, the EEG technology, you know, yet another way we can look at the brain. So no, I love all these tools. You know, I've I brought into the practice the Gibson test. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking, I'm like, should we be doing that on every patient? But it is a test where it assesses cognitive function and it can look at things like your working memory, processing speed, you know, uh, visual focus, all this other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't been using it as extensively as we probably could. So that's something that you might have motivated me to do. But there are are all these tools that we can use to assess the brain. 
I think conventionally, like your routine physical probably doesn't go to that depth, right? So that's where you need these deeper dives into really looking, you know, more thoroughly at brain health, hormone health, heart health, inflammation, all the stuff, because it ultimately all it, it all together. Yeah, it, it all ties together. And if you add that one piece, so, you know, I could give a mild cognitive impairment screen in the clinic. And usually if I give that to somebody, I know right away if their memory is slipping. So we can give something on the computer, you know, and some people are very proficient at doing the computerized test, but doing both the computerized and then doing something verbal. And, you know, you start to see the changes happen over time. And that's where we can just make the modifications. Let's modify the diet, right? That's an easy, actually dietary modifications and um, supporting with the right kind of supplements. Even you, when you do lab work, you know, you're looking at C-reactive protein or homocysteine levels and going, okay, let's get those, you know, balanced. Right. When we do that, we know we can slow down cognitive decline. We have so, in, in assessing early and finding out early, we are going to have the best chance of slowing down any sort of brain aging or cognitive issues. Yeah. Quantitative EEGs be done on children? Have they yeah. have you seen that? I've done, I've done them on children. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I, I did them in the clinic. So I've done them on, on yeah. kids of all ages, autistic kids. That's what's great is we could do an EEG on, you know, a child and it's the, the autistic kids could be challenging, but, but we can still do it because right. if I can get them to sit still for, you know, three to five minutes, you know, I can collect enough data and, you know, it's just great. The thing that I love about it, neurofeedback, having a non-pharmacological approach to helping balance the brain and then having the outcome be, oh, my, my child is less anxious. You know, my child can now sit and do their homework. Yeah. Um, and, and then you combine that with a dietary strategy. Okay, we're going to help parents teach their kids how to eat brain healthy. You know, we're all going to do a smoothie in the morning and we're all going to have our fish oil. And for kids, you can get them in the little squeeze packs and, you know, put them on a spoon and they can do theirs with the spoon. And, you know, the parents can do their capsules and you just kind of make it fun. Um, And that's why it's like just making brain health easy and accessible for people, you know, and, and we always say, uh, you know, don't drink your calories. So you know, have your water, your green juices or your, your teas and, you know, just, you know, make that uh, part of a brain healthy lifestyle. Let's get rid of the sodas with the aspartame. That's right. Well, I love it. And I think that everyone listening today is probably going to benefit from all of this. Tell us where we can find your book and uh, any kind of last words of wisdom that you have for folks out there today. Oh, well, thank you, number one, for having me on your show. It is truly a great honor and so much fun to speak to a fellow colleague. And I'm super happy that you're now even going to think a little bit more about what you can do for your patients, right? Just to assist their brain. Um, So you can find the book on Amazon or you can go to my website, Biohack Your Brain. Um, Thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to to share some knowledge. I have a website at drwillemeyer.com. Wonderful. And Willemeyer, guys, if you're trying to write all this down, it is (laughs) W-I-L-L-E-U-M-I-E-R. So definitely check out our website, check out the book. This is the next public health epidemic. We do have sort of an attack on our brains. We're seeing it in so many 
different forms and fashion. But the good news is that we have it in our control to change our brains. And I'm excited. I want to dive back. You guys inspire me when I do these, like, are we doing enough for our patients? Are we doing enough in the clinic? Yeah. So we're going to take another look at what we're doing to make sure we're assessing everyone's cognitive health more aggressively moving forward. And there's so many tools out there today. So thank you for joining us. And for everybody else who is listening or watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness, remember you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. We're on Apple iTunes and Spotify. And if you post a review, send it to me, email me at hello at drtaz.com and we'll send you a free bottle of Boost, a great supplement, a beast, a methylated B for your brain. All right, guys, I'll see you next time.